Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, fantastic. It's interesting to be back on this thing again. Yeah. Book's deduction, you know, the podcast, you know. I, I haven't been here for a while. It's been a while. I've missed you. Yeah. And the, and the other person who's on here as well. Oh, I keep forgetting who that I, is. I, there was another person. I can't remember yeah. the name. See, I, I talk to them almost every week, but I just, they're just one of those people you just can't remember. Yeah, I know what you mean. So yeah. I, I feel bad for it, really. I just, uh, I know I'm, it's, it's almost insulting, but when you can't help it, it's just, yeah. I want to say Joel. No, not quite. Uh, I, I'd feel bad for her no. if I remembered. It was a her, yes. Yeah, it's definitely her, I'm sure. Um, well, uh, we'll call it Judy Doe. Yeah, um, that's, that's better. No, Jane Doe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jane Doe. Uh, well, it's nice to be back with you too, even though it's only you here at the moment. Dropping in back from uh, whatever it is I was doing and uh, just seeing how uh, how have been how have things been with you anyway. They've been good because we're going to be talking about something later on, but I've... Because, oh, mm. um, you know, we're talk- talking about collecting. Yes. I've been looking at first editions, like, books. And do, oh, you, right. do you know how right. much some of those first editions can bloody go for? I've seen in a bookstore in um, Canary Wharf, there were some bookstores that actually deal in specifically first editions. Yeah. And some of them I saw were going for, like, £600, uh, £900, from what I saw. I've seen on one of these websites something going for, like, 30000 and it's just a pretty normal book. It's ridiculous. How old was it? I think this one was sometime in the 1800s. It's like a really collectible item. But it's ridiculously expensive. I'm like, how could it be worth, like, 30000 That's... Like, there's, there's other ones there yeah. as well. Going uh, even, like... For, I think I'm sure I saw something, like, for 60-odd thousand. I mean, that's, like, half a house <laughs> you're buying there. It's ridiculous. Almost. And like, um, I can understand it because even if it was just a mundane object, if it was made in the 1800s, chances are, if it's a rare one, that would probably go for something half of that price. But, you know, a rare book, you know, so it's yeah. a lot of time and effort put into it as well. So, yeah. With a famous name attached, yeah. Yeah, I kind of get the rareness bit of it. But, like, there's, there's some you think are ridiculously expensive. Like, you can have a first edition in, like, crappy condition, but you can still sell it for, like, hundreds. Mm. And, like, um, Jules Verne, he's, like, you're lucky if you get a first edition of his in the hundreds. Some of them go for, like, thousands. Ridiculous. And he's not even that rare, actually. Thousands. Like, uh, that was the 1800s, and these things are going for, what, like, 30,000 yeah. pounds or something? And yet, in, just in the 90s, if you have some first edition Pokemon cards, those can go for thousands of almost equivalent pricing, really. I think the Charizard card can go for about 15,000. Wow. Shiny Charizard. The the shiny Charizard, yeah. The original. The original the original first edition wow. ones as well. Yeah. And there's one I think that was sold for about two hundred thousand. That was like a special edition holiday Pikachu or some sort of promo card that only five in the world were made or something like that. So it's it's just it's just interesting that something that was only about maybe twenty years ago is out selling <laughs> First edition books from the wow. 1800s. I, I, I wish I had more than ones I had when I was younger, sometimes. Well, you can borrow some of mine if you can get a good price for them. Yeah, and I, I, I used to love collecting those Pokemon cards. I, I mean, I never learned to play it properly until the last minute. And then by that point, there was no point. 
yeah, I felt like that was a bit of a waste, but then no one else did. So. Yeah, I, I never once. I, I tried playing it once with my friend, and it, was, it wasn't actually that interesting to play. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. you always <laughs> think of it as the Game Boy version, really. Exactly. That you've got a Game Boy, you don't need to play cards, you know. Yeah. Although um, I did think the strategy thing was quite cool. I always like, I've liked the look of these Japanese card games. They look cool. You know, the Yu-Gi-Oh's and the, and the Pokemon's and all that. But uh, never really got into them because it is a money suck. And uh, it just looks a bit complicated as well. But I like how complex they can get. Yeah. There was a game, I can't remember if it was Yu-Gi-Oh or... It was one of those ones uh, at school. It's like all the really geeky kids kind of played that one. Oh, was that Magic the Gathering? I don't know. I can't. I don't think so. I can't remember what it's called. No. But yeah, that could have it, its own club or something like that, which people would play. And that 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 sounded really complicated. Like I can never quite get into the really complicated stuff. Well, me neither. Um, but I, I like. I just. Uh, to be able to get into one of them, you know, because when these people get into them, it kind of, they focus on that one thing and that thing only, and there's nothing, no room for anything else. Yeah. But I actually used to like, I still do actually, you remember those, uh, the Warhammer tabletop game? Vaguely kind of remember that. It's where you kind of paint your own models and, and oh, yeah. you have like codexes and all these different strategies and rules and stuff. It's kind yeah. of cool. I think I like the lore more than the actual game itself. Though. I've never learned to play the game. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's quite cool. It's quite fun. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I hoard them. You know, I don't exactly collect enough to encapsulate myself in my house, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you what I like to hoard. I like to hoard Segway. Segway. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hoard. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! Yeah, that's a that's a hoarding. That's a, that's a uh, that's something to hoard. <laughs> that's a hoarding mission. That's definitely a good one, actually. Segways. Yeah. Do you mm. just uh, go around town and find them in the trash and take them in, or yeah, you buy a couple of new ones every now and then? Or... Yeah, wherever I can get them, I'll go oh, for yeah, anything to get a segway. <laughs> Rescue. <laughs> that sounds like a nineties advert. Yeah. Well, I support you in your segway dreams. You know. Would you ever chuck them out? Would you, would you cry if you were forced to? Oh, definitely. No one likes being detached from nerve-ending objects, do they? I mean, uh, I wouldn't want that to happen to my stuff. So, no. I mean, uh, I think I've got a couple of old old ruby beer bottles that I won't give away, and that's when it gets really bad, when you attach <laughs> the rubbish. So, um, yeah, but not like some of these other hoarders. No. They kind of hoard random things, like rancid packets of crisps and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff's just strange. But, um, well, I think we should do intro music now. Good point. Oh, oh, can I? You can do the honours if you want. Yes! It's been so long. (laughs) 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 Intro music! Where we talk about stuff. You know, me and Tom don't actually do that now. <laughs> where, where you shout it out, <laughs> we just go silent. I've, 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 I've brought, I've brought the sexy back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> if you want me to go really old school, let me um do an old intro. Um, live from the liquor store behind the, the what was it? Behind the highway, it's time once again. A dog seduction. talk about stuff 
See, I think that's what we need in our podcast more. But only you can do it, so... A loud, obnoxious male. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I can't do yeah. that. <laughs> You've got a nice voice. I've got a loud voice. But I do I do take pride in uh, how fucking dumb deep it can get. Yeah, I, I think you'd make a good announcer. If I can remember the words, yeah. That, that's uh, part of it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big part of it. Having the, having the voice is one thing, that's the easy part, but... Uh, remembering how to do words. Yes, mm. that's uh, the next battle. But hey-ho, maybe one day. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about meantime, hoarding this episode, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are. I had this uh, specifically hand-picked from the British Museum just Ooh. for you. I went through the archives with my gloves and I dusted off an old book. And it details the history of New York. That's way too so much research for this podcast. <laughs> ah, but only the best for the dorks deduction with with Mattin and Jane. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> going to kill me. Um, so, yeah, I, I found this story about two brothers called the Collier brothers who lived in New York back in the early 21st century. And they kind of lived, they were quite rich. They were born in 1881 till about their deaths in 1947. They lived in New York. I think it was Queens, actually, back when it was quite a well-off area and not the Queens we know now. Or was it Harlem? Anyway, I'll go through it. I think it's Harlem, I seem to remember hearing. Was it Harlem? I remember it was one of the worn-down areas, but, um, yeah, it must be Harlem in which case. But, um, they, uh, they travelled to America, uh, from England itself. Oh, well, their ancestors had, anyway. And that they claimed this as one of their rises to fame, you know, they were one of the original English families to come in on the Mayflower. Ah, right. And basically they, they had, all their riches stemmed from there. But they were like the original immigrants, basically. Yeah. Basically, um, these two brothers... They lived a well-off life. Like, it was... They lived through the Depression, and even in the Depression, they weren't really strapped for cash at all. They still had a good sort of fortune to their heads. Yeah. So not like the uh, grey ladies or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The brothers we'll be focusing on are uh, Homer and Langley. Their father, Herman Collier, he bought a building called the Brownstone Mm. in Harlem, uh, back when it was quite a rich area on the... 2078 Fifth Avenue, New York, New York, which now stands as a pocket park in memory to the old stone building and the brothers themselves. But he had two sons, Homer and Langley, both who were pretty much prodigies in their own right. Homer, he attended a public school at the age of 14. Uh, He was accepted to the College of New York as a sub-freshman. And he earned his bachelor's degree six years later. So, you know, it's already put us to shame. Jesus. They both attended Columbia University as well. And it was um, quite a formidable family in terms of <laughs> how smart they were. In a way, it's kind of tragic how these kind of intelligent men, you know, everyone has a flaw. Yeah. Uh, even the smartest person is can some be somewhere on the spectrum, you know? Yeah. They seem like they're clever people. <laughs> Langley was an accomplished pianist. Um, and he played professionally for a time, performed at Carnage Hall. Langley was also a layman of the Trinity Church. Yeah. So his, his families have been parishioners since, like, 19, uh, 1697. So it's a long extended tradition of that as well. Yeah. Um, and then it was in 1909 when Herman Collier, their father, moved them into a four-story brownstone in Harlem at 2078 Avenue, Fifth Avenue. And for a time, that's where they relayed themselves. You know, that's where they lived. Yeah. It was good for a time. Around 1919, uh, Herman and Susie, 
obviously their mother separated. Mr. Collier moved into a new home at 153 West 77th Street, while Susie stayed in the Harlem Brownstone. Homer and Langley, who had never married or lived on their own, chose to remain with their mother. Dr. Collier died in 1923, leaving his sons all of their possessions now. This is where things start to get a little bit troubled, because after their father died, they all stayed in the brownstone anyway. They were already there to begin with, but yeah. they inherited all of Mr. Collier's junk, and there was a lot of junk. Wow. But instead of just selling it or getting rid of it, they just hoarded it into the brownstone. And there's a lot of interesting things that they actually included, as well as a complete motor car of the time, which they <laughs> disassembled and put into their house as well. It's, there were many things, and some of the things they found were bones, probably for science purposes, a whole library of books, many weird knickknacks, and just interesting and slightly terrifying things that uh, they, they just hid in their home, which makes their seclusion all the more creepy really and then finally in 1929 Susie Collier died the mother leaving the brothers all her possessions and the Harlem Brownstone so now these two are on their own and the fact that they'd never lived by themselves or the fact that they probably were quite close to their mother uh, may have led to this hoarding problem because you see that a lot like in other shows you'll see that hoarding can sometimes be triggered by a family member dying and then yeah not wanting to let go these people just cling on to everything and it's and then it creeps over yeah wanting to keep that connection to the person that's died it does make sense you know yeah uh, everyone's been through something like that so it's just you know you don't want to let go on certain things and and that itself by not letting go of those things you develop a passion to not let go of anything so yeah again it's a very interesting state of mind really and uh, I, I can't fault the brothers for doing what they did even though they were quite rich it's actually interesting how they went off the grid after that yeah after their mother's death the Collie brothers continued to live in the Harlem brownstone they inherited but for the next four years the brothers socialized with others they did everything normally on a regular basis you know uh homer was still in law he still practiced um, and Langley was still a piano dealer because that's another thing. He was a piano, an accomplished pianist, but he started his own piano dealership. And they actually found a bunch of old, unused pianos that were still ready to be packed in his home, complete and ready to be played as well, which is quite sad. But Homer lost his eyesight in 1933 uh, due to hemorrhages in the back of his eyes. So Langley decided to quit his job to care for his brother. And the two began to withdraw from society as. It got a little bit more strained, mm. probably because, you know, you want to take care of this last member of your family uh, while they're still alive. It'd just be on the safe side. Yeah. As time progressed, though, the brothers became a little bit fearful to changes in the neighborhood. During the Great Depression, Harlem became something a little less glamorous. So all the big families moved out. There was a lot more, you know, <laughs> they were the... Oh, um, there weren't rich Clubs. families that moved in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say that. Because, like, oh, uh, oh, man. No, there, there were a, a lot less richer people that moved in. And yeah, the stereotype was, oh, this is this is a problematic neighborhood now because people were more desperate. It was a Great Depression. You know, the brothers were uncomfortable with the shift in racial demographics. And plus, yeah. bear in mind, they were still quite well off. So there were all, all rumors about them, that they had treasures in their house and being so disassociated with uh, poorer people, this could cause problems to them, but especially for them who were very socially departed from everything else. Yeah. Oh, and also they were probably racist, by the way, because as the racial demographic shifted, that started to leave less and less. This amount of reasons maybe why the brothers chose to lock themselves from the world. And then Langley was one of the people that 
you know, one of his words was, we just don't want to be bothered. We just don't, we just don't want to be bothered by anyone. They really just enjoyed their own company and they didn't want to move out and talk to anyone. So this was the beginning of quite a, a long time period of them just being hoarded up in this house, only leaving at night for Langley to uh, get food from maybe the next town over or something. But, you know, they were never seen, really. Yeah. Aside from a couple of run-ins with police who had to knock on the door because they weren't paying bills. They had a very unconventional lifestyle. And this was all while Homer and his condition was deteriorating as well. So, obviously, with neighbourhoods, unchecked rumours, you know, started to spread that there were valuables and large sums of money, and several people even attempted to burgle into their home. But <laughs> because of this, Langley started to go all home alone, McCourtney Culkin, and uh, he started to create engineered booby traps wow. and tunnels that would cave in on intruders inside his house, uh, which were wired to go off, and only he would know how to get around them, basically, because now, at this point, there were boxes and boxes on top of every little niche that you could see in this house. And they were basically living in a very, very tight prison of their own home. But they didn't see it that way. Yeah. You, you know, so I guess they were just surrounded by... They, they just liked being on their own. That's how it was. They didn't like other people when it kind of just expanded from there. I can understand that. <laughs> mm, I can understand that as well. People are a bit shitty sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Social situations, eh? Ugh. Oh, I know. So a lot of these were like little nests that would cave in on any possible intruders and just pin them down so they would be able to move. So, you know, Langley spent most of this time tinkering with like various inventions, you know, his pianos, his his vacuum. Sometimes he would actually do uh, play piano sonatas uh, for Poma while he could. He would also paint as well. Yeah. He would read to Homer from that massive library of his as well, which a lot of them were just, you know, medical textbooks from Homer's days as a uh, in the medical profession. They refused to speak to professional medical treatment for both brothers because um, they feared that doctors would cut his optic nerve and Langley believed that they would be able to bring it back by just eating oranges. Uh, <laughs> Um, just by eating oranges, he said he should be able to heal. He's, he eats about, say, 90 oranges a week or something like that, and he's <laughs> feeling a lot better. So, you know, I, I admire yeah. their passion. I admire their passion. Yeah. And they say, well, we have a medical library of 15,000 books in their house. We decided we'd not call any do doctors. You see, we knew too much about medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you must remember we are sons of a doctor so they had their you know they were stubborn but yeah when Langley would venture out of the house at midnight he would walk miles all over the city to get food sometimes going as far as Williamsburg Brooklyn which I just um, looked up here you know it's, it's a next town over just to go out to get food at night to buy as little as oh. a loaf of bread or you know he would pick up food out of the garbage and collect food that was going to be thrown out by grocers and butchers to bring back to his brother Homer. And he also collected countless pieces of abandoned items and trash that aroused his interest. So this was his, like, his time out. And whenever he would go out just to collect food, you know, really cheap food, by the way, he would also add to his hoarding collection by little trinkets and oddities that he would see. Because this would be the only time he would see something new, you have to remember. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite shocking. But um, by the early 1930s, the Collier's brothers, Brownstone, had fallen to disrepair and their telephone was disconnected. So there was absolutely no contact with the outside world. It had never been reconnected because the brothers said they had no one to talk to. They then failed to pay their bills, electricity, water and gas. So that was all turned off. They took to warming the large house using only a small kerosene heater and a couple of candles. Uh, for a time, Langley attempted to generate electricity by means of a car engine, probably that one that was 
from his father in ah. the bank, but Langley would fetch water from a pump in nearby parks. Their only link to the outside world was via a crystal radio that Langley made. Very interesting, but um, they, they were so secluded. And neighbours and, and shopkeepers in the area, you know, they described the Colliers as generally polite, rational men, but they also thought they were crazy, you know, and why would you not? Because you only see them... They're basically enigmas that you only see at night. Or, yeah. It's interesting, you know, they're like a local legend, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, he had a, they both had sporty, droopy moustaches, and I think Langley, when he was seen, he wore like a, uh, a boating cap as well as this massive tattered trench coat as well so you can imagine what he lo- looks like a he's just come off the flying dutchman yeah very out of the times basically but homer had not been seen or heard from since he went blind and retreated from the world in 1933 so he was still a mystery to people see landley was fiercely protective of him and he would not allow anyone to see him or speak to him uh, that stems back to the fact that he wouldn't let anyone else get medical treatment to him as well I, I can understand why people would find them crazy. Yeah, I can. I, I can understand both sides of the coin, really. Yeah. I can understand, like, the brothers. Sometimes you do feel like just being a recluse and not talking to anyone. Mm. But to the outside world, their habits would definitely look a bit odd, I think. It would, yeah. That there was a time when I think the police knocked on their door to pay some income taxes that had dated mm. back a while. And uh, they actually busted into their property to do it. And by the time they got in there, they found Langley sitting ready for them. And he just got out a check for $1,900 out of his pocket, just like that, which in today's cash would be, I don't know, something like uh, $30,000. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quite a lot of money. Um, just to brandish it and say, just get out. You know, he's paid his taxes now. Just yeah. get out. And every time he would have an unfavourable interaction with the outside world, he would b- block up his door with more boxes, and uh, it would just act to dishevel them even more from the world. And for a time, they weren't even heard from. Uh, they began to make news again when a gas company, Col- Consolidated Edison, forced their way into the house to remove two gas meters that had been shut off in 1928. And the incident reportedly drew a crowd of thousands of onlookers. The brothers drew media attention in 1942 when the Bowery Savings Bank threatened to evict the Colliers for failing to pay their mortgage for three years. That same year, the New York Herald Tribune interviewed Langley. In response to a query about the bundles of newspapers that were kept in the brothers' home, Langley replied, I am saving newspapers for Homer so that when he regains his sight, he can catch up on the news. And that is so sad, isn't it? I, I kind of want to hug him, serious, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's really hot and sad. But yeah, yeah, so in November 1942, the Barry Savings Bank began eviction procedures and sent a clean-up crew to the home. Langley began yelling at the workers, prop, uh, prompting the neighbours to summon the police. When the police attempted to force their way into the home by smashing down the front door, they were stimmied by a sheer wall of junk piled from floor to ceiling. They found Langley Collier in a clearing he had made in the middle of the debris. Without comment, Langley made out the check for six thousand seven hundred. This is the one for six thousand seven hundred dollars, two thousand sixteen equivalent of ninety eight thousand two hundred and eight dollars, paying off the mortgage in full in a single payment. I don't know, <laughs> but that's that's the one. He then ordered everyone off the premises and withdrew from outside scrutiny once more, emerging only at night when he wanted to file criminal complaints against intruders, get food, or collect items that piqued his interest. And for a time, everything was great. Um, but then, yeah, March 21st, 
1947, anonymous tipster who identified himself only as Charles Smith for the 122nd police precinct and insisted there was a dead body in the house. Now, we don't know why that is. Maybe it was the miasma of smells that you probably get from these kind of dead bodies. But the caller claimed that the smell Uh, of decomposition was emanating from the house. As the police were used to calls from neighbours about the Collier brothers' homes, a patrol officer was dispatched. The responding officer initially had a difficult time getting into the house. There was no doorbell or telephone, and obviously the wires uh, to the phone were tapped off, and the doors were locked. And though the basement windows were broken, they were protected by iron grill work. And literally a prison (laughs) at this point. Yeah, so the, the brownstone's foyer was packed solid by walls of old newspapers, folded beds and chairs, and a half a sewing machines, boxes, parts of a wine press, and a numerous other pieces of junk. A patrolman finally broke in through a window in the second-story building. Behind this window lay, among other things, more packages and newspapers, bundles, empty cobble boxes, lashed together with rope, the frame of a baby carriage, a rake, and old umbrellas tied together. After five hours of digging, Homer Collier's body was found in an alcove surrounded by filled boxes of newspapers that were piled to the ceiling. Homer was wearing a tattered blue and white bathrobe. His matted grey hair reached to his shoulders, and his head was resting on his knees. There is a reason for this as well. Um, I remember reading before that his condition had worsened so badly that he couldn't sleep normally anymore. He literally slept with his head on his knees in that one spot. The medical examiner confirmed Homer's identity and said that the elder brother had been dead for approximately 10 hours. According to medical examiners, Homer died from starvation and heart disease. That's really sad. Police initially suspected that Langley Collier was the man who phoned in the anonymous tip regarding his brother's death and theorised that he had fled the house before police arrived. It was later discovered that a neighbour called police based on a rumour he'd heard. A police officer was posted outside the home to wait for Langley, but he never arrived. Police began to suspect that Langley was dead when he failed to attend Holmes' funeral held on April 1st. Interesting, right? That was a <laughs> kind of... It's, it's really sad. Yeah. At that point, they started to just take everything out, and that's when they started to find all those crazy items, and uh, it's just a sad tale, really, isn't it? Yeah. I, I feel sorry for Homer in some ways as well. And there's not necessarily much he could do exactly. about it. What do you think happened to Langley? I don't know. Did he? Is he? Is he? Uh, he's dead as well. I'm guessing. Well, funny you say that because there is one more bit. Wow. They started to take things away from the house after the discovery of Homer's body. You know, the rumors had begun circulating that he had been seen aboard a bus heading for the Atlantic, <laughs> Atlantic City. <laughs> a manhunt along with New Jersey Shore turned up nothing, and you would think maybe he was the one that killed Langley. Maybe he snapped through all this. Yeah. Reports of Langley sightings led police in a total of nine states, so he was hunted for. The police continued searching the house, removing 3,000 books, several outdated phone books, a horse's jawbone, a Steinway piano, an early x-ray machine, and more bundles of newspapers. More than 19 tons of junk were removed from the house floor of the brownstone. The police continued to clear away the brother's stockpile for another week, so you can imagine how much there was, <laughs> removing another 84 tons of rubbish from the house. Although a good deal of the junk came from their father's medical practice, and considerable portion of discarded items collected by Langley over the years, approximately 2,000 people stood outside the home to watch the clean-up effort. On April 8th, 1947, a workman found the body of Langley Collier, and he was 10 feet away 
from where Homer had died. Langley was found in a two-foot wide tunnel, about 60 centimetres, with rusty bed springs and a chest of drawers. His decomposing body, which was the actual source of the smell, reported by the anonymous tipster, had been partially eaten by rats and was covered by a suitcase, bundles of newspapers and three metal bread boxes. The medical examiner determined that Langley had died around March 9th. Police theorised that Langley was crawling through the tunnel to bring food to his paralysed brother when he inadvertently tripped a booby trap he had created himself and was crushed by the Debris. His cause of death was attributed to asphyxiation. Uh, and then, then both brothers were buried next to their parents in an unmarked grave at Cypress Hill Cemetery, Brooklyn. There we go. Wow. That's what a way to go. <laughs> I know. And it's just, it's incredible for a hoarding tale, I must admit. 88, what was it, 98 tons of rubbish, did it say? That's incredible. Yeah. You couldn't do that if you tried. You know, it's it would have to be inherited. Yeah. I, I, I did like when you were listing all the like things they had it did sound a bit like the generation game where you've got to name <laughs> all the things and then it's like a cuddly toy right at the end <laughs> and a bendy bully yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it, <laughs> my, some of these things would actually be great prizes on one of those shows because what like an early x-ray machine just yeah wow like i bet that was like a blow to the period as well like no one had seen anything like that for ages. Yeah. This, it's like a time capsule, really. See, I think some of those things are like worth collecting. Like some things yeah. people collect because they're genuinely quite interesting, I think. Exactly. Like those newspapers would be great for the museums. Just incredible. Yeah. I think what really got me was the rubbish was so piled up, so stacked and so hard to rem- remove that it had been... They'd already put on a manhunt in nine different states before finding... Langley's body, which was literally just 10 feet away from Homer's, and it took that long to find it. Yeah. It's just incredible. If you knew what you knew about Langley, that he was such a like, reclusive person, it seems slightly odd to me. They'd think he'd run away. That's what I thought. Like, uh, if they knew him as well as he appears in these, uh, these yeah. stories, surely they would have known that his bond with his brother goes so deep. If anything, his bond with his, his house goes so deep that he wouldn't just leave yeah. it to the people to have a look at, would he? Yeah. You know, he'd probably keep the brother's body. I was looking through a list of, like, the, the weird hoarding stories, and there apparently was one woman who, uh, they found her dead body, and then they, while looking for hers, they found the body of her mother, who apparently she'd always had some excuse for... <sighs> why no one ever saw her mother again. So they think she might have been, like, living in this house with her dead mother for years. And, yeah, eventually she died herself. And collecting, like, retirement papers. Yeah, stuff like that. Wow. How can you do that? That is sad. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I guess you can't tell until you see the the context of the situation. And maybe she was, you know, no other choice. And that was, like, a a one area where she could get away with some hope or something, you know, but... Still, you know, living with your dead mother for that's Norman Bates level. Yeah, that's creepy. what I was just about to think. You know, it's yeah. quite creepy, some of the stuff. Half of that check, that retirement check, must have been spent on air fresheners or something <laughs> yeah. because, my God, like, you, my God, that would be horrible. Yeah. Imagine the nightmares you would have, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit squeamish about dead bodies, so I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I understand that, man. There's nothing crazy about yeah. that, trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be the weird one that can't, yeah. doesn't like dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be that weird guy. Everyone loves a good dead body. Man. Yeah, yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> we practically make films about them. Yeah. Yeah, that is horrible. Yeah. I think, actually, not related to hoarding, but uh, that reminds me of a story of... A, there was a story department that collapsed once, mm. and... Um, I think, I'm probably going to butcher this story, but it's really interesting if you get a chance to look it up. There was a woman who had apparently been dead for... When they when they found out that uh, this building had collapsed, they were able to trace everyone that was in there. And apparently there was a woman who had been dead in her apartment for three years, but she had a missing foot. Ooh. It was someone else's foot or something like that. So they traced the foot back to a grave, and this grave had a missing foot. So for some reason, this woman had this dead person's foot in her apartment for around three years or so before she died. I don't know. It's, I, I think I got it wrong, but it's, it's just, it's one of those sort of stories, you know, like real weird oddities. I think they're called anomalies, you know, uh, social anomalies. Yeah. But I love stuff like that. I really do. <laughs> where, where would you keep that foot? Would you have it like, on the shelf or something like that? <laughs> the bread box, of course. <laughs> nice. You wouldn't have anyone over, of course, you know. You're probably one of these people that wouldn't have anyone over anyway. Yeah. So uh, it's it, it, probably easy to get away with unless it starts stinking. Or yeah. you could do what they do in um, in Scandinavia with the rotting fish and just keep it submerged under water all the time. Yeah, I think, I think that's what you'd have to do because you've just had it out anywhere. It's still decomposed, I would have thought. So, <laughs> unless they exactly. kept it in the freezer or something like that. Oh my god, can you imagine? Shit, <laughs> with the with the the sweet corn and good lamb chops right next to it. As well. <laughs> Maybe it gives it a nice flavour, you know. Apparently, okay, I don't want to put anyone off, and I want people to think less of me. But apparently, humans taste like venison. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Well, now you do. Now you do. So, uh, what was your last meal then? Oh, I, oh mine was uh, meatballs, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, a sloppy Joe, Matt. Sloppy Joe. <laughs> Yeah, Joe is delicious. If you were a cannibal and you're about to be executed, and if they ask you for a last meal, you would say a human, wouldn't you? I don't know, man, because I don't claim to know the all end of the universe. So just in case there is an afterlife that that deals with morality, I might just say, give yeah. me a, a steak instead, just to be on the safe side. If I'd already had it, a person by then, I'd be like, yeah, give me another one, you, you know, or give me, give me a, give me the guy who sentenced me. I'll take him. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't. Uh, just to be on the safe side, I'd be like, you know what? I'll have a very innocent steak, if that's all right with you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, just in case. Yeah, it would be brilliant if those last meal requests were like. You have to give them what they want. You have to do it. Oh, that'd be awesome. Be right. <laughs> I want a chunk off of the Statue of Liberty's nose, and you have to do it. Yeah, yeah that'd be awesome. What would yours be, anyway? Oh, mind me. Oh, creme brulee. But uh, if, if we're going to stay for something <laughs> weird... <laughs> I don't know why I expected anything different. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. Creme brulee's brilliant. Nice. I don't know about something weird, though, that I'd, I'd have as a kind of last meal request. I think what you'd want to do... Eat the executioner. Eat the executioner, why not? Then you can't be executed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Logic. It, it, what I would do is you would want to get something that's so rare that it would extend your period of living. Yeah. So maybe something like, I want you to get me the golden tusk boar from Canary Island or um, one of those golden-headed snakes of Snake oh, Island. Yeah. You know, those really rare snakes. Even though they'd probably find it and get it. Or something to piss everyone off. So give me the last white rhino. I'll have that. <laughs> you know, just really piss everyone off. But you want something really rare that doesn't exist anymore. That's the only way that, you know, you can work it in your favour. Yeah. I think I think that's a good idea. I'm going to bear that in mind just in case I need that information. Yeah, yeah. Look up, look up the last ex- existing animals and, uh, you know, 
maybe you'll you'll have some sort of plan ready. <laughs> That's what I always like about you know Charles Darwin. Yeah. One of his books before he wrote the Theory of Evolution book, it was basically him. He's he was going on some like uh, naturalist cruise or something like that. All right. And it's basically basically he was eating all these like rare birds and stuff like that. <laughs> well, chronically, yeah. so he's saying these are really extinct, but. I'm just going to eat another one while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, apparently something happened with the Galapagos giant turtles as well. Oh, where, yeah. Um, I think I saw this on QI. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, they discovered an island with these giant turtles. Was it tortoise or turtles? I think it was turtles. And, yeah, they were so nice, weren't they? They were so nice that they were... And, and plus, you could keep them as a good source for liquids on, on ship travels. Yeah. But they were just hunted to extinction straight away. So, yeah. wow, there you go. <laughs> kind of sad, actually, but... Yeah. I think they said on QI, they, they didn't even name them or something like that. They <laughs> just kept eating them. <laughs> <laughs> That's got me at first as well. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The story about the Collier brothers actually reminds me of a, a Midsummer Murders episode I watched. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's it's where um, this old guy gets a load of... They're like hoarders, and he gets a load of stack of papers to fall on his wife because he wants her dead for some reason. That sounds bloody epic. And what's the other one? I'm not sure if you've seen it. There's a program called 1,000 Ways to Die. Yes, yes. I, I've watched that once, and I was a bit pissed off that it only had about three or four reasons on the program. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was a bit young back then, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I remember. It's fantastic. And uh, some of these are slightly made up, though. But the, the story they had on this one was that this guy had this, like, massive porn collection. Oh, yeah. And his his wife leaves him, and then he's he's watching a load of porn. And eventually he finds he needs to eat and drink. But he's so weak by that point, he has to crawl out of his house, and he accidentally catches some of his porn collection, and it just all comes crumbling down on him. No! <laughs> no! And just kills him. <laughs> oh man, that's oh, he died the way he lived. Yeah, the one thousand ways to die has like really funny captions that go with like the deaths. And this one was like he should have tossed away his collection or something like oh, tossed off his yes. porn collection. <laughs> it's brilliant. Oh, only... That's perfect, isn't it? An American show. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, oh, it's great. Like you have people who get anal prolapses or something like that. And they oh, left up. It's brilliant. You heard it here, guys. Go check out 1001 Ways to Die. Old show by now, but it's still good. Yeah. I might do that myself, actually. Well, that's uh, that's my story in the Collier Brothers, and uh, I guess that is the hoarding episode, in a way. Even though I'm sure we've done some sort of hoard speak before. I'm pretty sure we talked about what we've collected before. Maybe some Keanu Reeves memorabilia. <laughs> Lots of Keanu Reeves action figures and Keanu Reeves posters. Because either... Neither he or the actual merchandise will ever age, so mm. you know, it'll always be eternal, always worth money. The person we we sometimes record with, they collect Shia LaBeouf, the beef, however you say it. They collect his memorabilia. Are you serious? Yeah, got, got all the films, posters, calendars, all oh, that kind of stuff. I knew there's a reason I didn't remember this person's name. Yeah, he, who'd want to know someone like that? Yeah, I know, right? Shia LaBeouf merchandise, <laughs> and they didn't share it with me. My God, I know. Despicable, this person. Despicable is the right word, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, di- I didn't mention some of the things that I listed. Collection. Oh, yeah, good. Just do it quickly. That's uh, uh, an added bonus, yeah. Well, the top one was airplane spoon collection. What? Yeah, this person airplane collected spoons. airplane spoon. Oh, 
See, I love it when it's something that's really niche. Yeah. And they just find tons of these things. Like, you didn't even know these things were a thing. They're not that interesting, though. Why you'd be interested in that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess some, to some people it's not the individual product, but the fact that there's so many different designs of that product Yeah, that it's worth collecting. And it's the collection itself that becomes its own addiction and not the individual pieces, because they're probably never used anyway. Yeah. Another one was rubber ducks, which I, can't, I can oh, kind of understand. Yeah, I understand that. that. There's actually purposely so many different types of rubber ducks nowadays. Yeah. And they've been around forever as well, so it makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. They are kind of quite zany as well. They are zany. And they're iconic as yeah. well, really. Another one was banana stickers, the little stickers you get on bananas. I strangely acknowledge this, that the whole doll sticker system and, and some of these other ones as well, like mm. there is some sort of checkbook fascination to that. Yeah. It's like people collect like football stickers and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. I thought it was weird at first and I thought it's not, it's not necessarily that weird, that one, actually. Yeah, it's just it's something that you don't pick up in a booster pack. It's kind of not meant to be collected, but it is. Mm. I quite like that. It's like stamp collecting seems weird to some people, but I think, I think it's quite interesting, personally. I think it's cool because it's a form where it didn't start... It's like the banana stickers. It wasn't meant to be collected. Yeah. And then it grew... It's self-aware of itself that... It has special editions and yeah. things like that. You know, the Penny Blacks, which are really rare. And There's a bit of history to it as well, isn't there, as well? Exactly. You see things evolve, you know, and there's something quintessentially British about that as well, which I quite like. Yeah. And then, and then there's, like, other ones, like some guy has a Barbie doll collection. Those ones always... Oh, well. People that collect them are always slightly strange, though, I find. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You have your Barbies, you have your uh, My Little Ponies mm. as well, which actually, to be honest, doesn't seem that awe-inspiring because you get so many bronies these days that a collection isn't exactly something that's going to stand out now, is yeah. it? Yeah. Really? Oh, there's, there's another one. This guy collects love dolls, which are basically yes. play dolls. <laughs> the ultimate player. Yeah, and he dresses them, he like does their hair, and he, he gets his wife oh. to buy the clothes for him. Oh, he has a wife! Yeah, and, and she was like, actually, I, I, I don't mind it because we, we now spend a lot more time together than than we would if he was doing up a car or something oh, like that. <laughs> God, woman, she's so unsure of herself that she's like, yeah, I don't mind it because at least we spend time together. Yeah. And he, he like, takes them oh. into the mountains and does, like, selfies and stuff. Like that. Ah, the cringe. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But at the same time, I guess it, it, it's just nice to know that no matter how bad your own collection gets, mm. it'll never be as cringeworthy yeah. as a collection of sex dolls and a wife that actually acknowledges them as well. can collect them as well. Or wives or wives. sex dolls. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. You can indeed, yeah. But you'll never outdo Genghis Khan's collection. Now, how many did he have in the end? Well... Enough that we might actually be direct relatives. Whoa. Oh, yeah. It's him yeah. and um, Charlemagne as well, isn't it? I think as well. Mm-hmm. The Don Juans of that period. Yeah. Naughty boys. Less Don Juan and more get over here so I can fuck you, Juans. Yeah. You know, they weren't exactly uh, PC about it. <laughs> no. They make Russell Brand look, you know, <laughs> quite... Like, like, what, did, did, was was Russell Brand quite ruthless in the bedroom? And I'm not speaking from personal experience, but he, he <laughs> is quite famous for, for, for getting around, who should say. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Oh, the, the, the other thing I heard, like, people sometimes collect, this is a bit more kind of creepy, on the creepy end, people, like, collect their nail clippings and stuff like that, and bits of their uh, hair and sort you of know, other people's hair. Funny thing, Matt. I'm not trying to sound disgusting, but I could actually understand that more than, say, uh, 
uh, My Little Pony or something like that because I I actually still have my baby teeth in a little cask. And obviously not my toenail clippings or hair that would smell. But my baby teeth, there's something really nice about having those and you can see the difference in how much you've grown, really. Yeah, I can maybe understand if you've got pretty impressive nails, if it's like an interesting <laughs> shape, maybe, or like yeah. if it just looks like frightening. I, c- I can maybe understand that, but... <laughs> but it just uh, yeah. somehow forms the Virgin Mary's face every time it grows out or, <laughs> or, uh, or even Ainsley Harriet's or something like that. Or, yeah, yeah, but... Apart from Maybe. that, I can't understand that kind of collection. <laughs> well, you and me both, brother. There is no reason for someone to click. And at that point, you're never going to have to have a finite amount because you're just going to keep adding to it. And it's it's going to be weird when that one person you take down to your house that you want to impress tips over a bucket and they all just came falling out. And you're like, no, I'm making a model with things. You know, like, how can you explain that? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of awkward social interaction (laughs) (laughs) man and then you get more pissed at them tipping over your bucket rather than being embarrassed about them finding it as well yeah yeah (laughs) there's a kind of anal person it would have come to that point yeah (laughs) yeah well that was the hoarding episode so uh yeah i enjoyed this actually yeah it it, it was very good conversation we can hoard this in our memories now oh (laughs) (laughs) you clever sausage yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to stop doing this kind of thing (laughs) that was witty though i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to my um army of six spots that i've hoarded over the past three years and just you know take pictures with my wife and you know just everyday activities that everyone gets up to you sound really convincing there chris i i do try yeah you, you sounded like you're trying to convince yourself yeah well i mean it is normal you know right it is normal yeah it's normal yeah well i'm going back to my collection of cock rings now so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have no reason to collect them. Just you know, they look good just... on the bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh well, you enjoy, and I know you will. <laughs> I know you'll enjoy your, them rings. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Nothing wakes you up better in the morning than ringing the bell end. You know, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh. There we go. I got mine out. <laughs> that's, that's mine. That's my contribution. So yeah, it was nice to hear from you, Matthew. Yeah, and it was nice to hear from you. Well, it was nice for you to hear us, viewers, and it was nice to be back for a little bit. Yeah, you'll have to come back again soon. It's torture having to record for the other person, especially when you don't know their name. It's really annoying. Yeah, who was it? Oh, never mind. Hopefully, Jane doesn't treat you too bad. No, uh, when you see her again, but. Follow us on the Facebook, The Dorks Deduction. Uh, you can follow us on the Twitters as well. We are on the Twitters. <laughs> and um, leave us the twits. You know, we like to read twits. And did I say that right, Matthew? It's tw- it's Twitter, yes? I think, I'm not on Twitter, but I think it's Twitter. Yeah, leave us a twat. Twat, yeah. And we'll, we'll twat you back. And you can also follow us on the Facebooks, the Insta follows, the Yargrams, the Wazzocks. And all the other social medias that we've forgotten to include. So enjoy. I think it is just Twitter and Facebook, though, guys. So um, you follow us on iTunes. Please have a listen to our other stuff, uh, especially the ones I'm not in, because those ones don't mention anything to do with Jimmy Savile. Ding! I've mentioned him again. Thank you very much. Okay. So there we are. Yeah. 
<laughs> you had to bring up Jimmy Savile. I did have to bring up Jimmy Savile because I wanted to, and that was my choice. So <laughs> You're an evil person, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll see you later, viewers, and yeah. I'll see you soon, Matt. Yeah, ta-ta. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.